stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Amazingly, this is now the one motorsport podcast that hasn't been bought out by Zach Brown. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your friendly neighbour, Mr. Andre Harrison, and welcome to episode 70... God, I want to say 73, isn't it? 72. Have I lost count again? 72. 72. We've done too many of these already. We've, <laughs> we've, we've clearly overstayed our internet welcome. I've already lost count. Episode 72 of Motorsport 101. I am here, um, and, and as always, we have Mr. Ryan King here. Hello, sir. King has vanished. Yeah, it's great to be here, guys. Um, I'm still, I'm still recovering from you know Saturday night shenanigans. Well, well, what were these Saturday night shenanigans that you're talking about? Here, for, for, for those that don't know, the the Las Vegas E race. But the... <laughs> they were interesting to say the least. We'll get to that later on in the show. But um, just a quick note: people have been asking about this on Twitter. That a certain Adam Johnson has given us the heads up that he is like, he, like people seem to think he was leaving the podcast. This is not true, okay? We, we've got to establish a few new ground rules for 2017. Johnson is not leaving. He's now going to be part of a revolving third seat on this podcast. Me and King are going to be the constants from here on in as best we can, and we're going to have like a rotating third seat throughout most of 2017, and. If anything, Johnson not being there means we can record later, and that means we can open up the possibility of having even more guests on the show, like Sarah Connors. Um, Yeah, podcast hybrids, collaborations, all that good shit. So Johnson is only going to be part-time from here on in. Don't worry, he's not leaving. He's going to be on here occasionally still. You know, we we have to get some NASCAR talk in there as, as long as Johnson doesn't shit on it from a great height like he usually does. In the meantime... We, we have a replacement for this episode, and unfortunately, for lack of a better term, it is the American. Yeah! Um, <laughs> it's gear, baby! Alright, I am excited, I am ready to go, I have my mayor racing gear on, I got my tickets for the 2019 British Grand Prix, everything is feeling great, how are you guys? Doing um, great. D- d- yes, yes, RJ O'Connell is here, back by popular <laughs> demand. Um, yeah. he, he, he is back to wreak havoc and break out all the back market gear because that's what RJ O'Connell does. He's he's the biggest F1 masochist we know. So, of course, it was only fitting we bring him back on an episode headlined by Manor's recent administration. Uh, oh, goody. Uh, uh, excuse, excuse me, what? what? Um, no, no, no that, that, that doesn't... That, wait, what? No, no, no that... No. No! no! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, is RJ's is RJ's microphone like echoing, or is it just me? I, I think it's. Oh, I, I think Zencaster didn't fix that. Speaking away from my microphone into like this room that does not absorb sound at all, it just bounces off. It is a bad recording space. Everything is terribly unprofessional here. The dumpster is ablaze. <laughs> We're off to a good start, folks. 
Um, but yeah, we will soldier on regardless. We'll have the bouncing RJ in the room for occasional takes. Uh, it'll be fun like that. But um, on this rather stacked and actually somewhat kind of bleak episode of Motorsport 101, that's just kind of what the whole thing sounds like here. We'll be talking about Manor's recent administration. We'll be talking about that infamous Las Vegas e-race, the biggest sim race in history, and how the whole thing just didn't really work out. Yeah, um, it was still better, better than, than Caesar's, Caesar's Palace 81. <laughs> Yes. Setting the bar as high as always, RJ. Always as always. <laughs> um, yeah, also we'll be talking about Zach Brown and Motorsport Network's growing monopoly. Um, we obviously heard the news they've bought out motorsport.com, but they're going even further with a direct stake in Formula E. It's 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 as terrifying as it sounds, quite frankly. Um, we'll also be taking your questions as the mailbag is back on Motorsport 101, and we'll be teasing the first episode of a brand new series on this podcast known as the Film Club. It'll be fun. Um, we don't get to talk about driven straight away, thank God. Um, quite frankly, but um, in the meantime, if you want to find us on the social medias and whatnot, you can find us on facebookcom forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We've got a whole series of season reviews going up from our, from our 69 based episode. Nice! Um, this... <laughs> Why well, did I know that was going to happen as soon as I said that? <laughs> <sighs> We're real mature on this podcast. We're real mature. And you can follow us on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter. And if you want to follow our Twitters personally, they are at Harrison101HD. At Ryan Eric King with two Ks and at RJ O'Connell. Follow him on there. And if you want to follow Johnson, he's at AJ underscore Bomber Sports as well. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon over there at www.patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. We've got all sorts of goodies in there for you guys to enjoy as well. Um, couple of ground rules for 2017. We've had a we've had a, we've bashed our heads together. Over at the podcast, well, mostly Johnson. It's mostly his fault. Blame him. But um, we bashed our heads together, King, and we come with a couple of new ground rules for the podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't have to tell them what the ground rules are. We We just just make make them them up as we we go go along. It's It's the the John Tote strategy. It It works works every time. You make a good point. In other words, we're going to give you all the hot takes in 2017 and it will be lit. So you, you guys are going to absolutely love us. We're going to have Skip Bayless, King can be Shannon Sharp. Um, <laughs> I, 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 haven't a, I haven't found a role for RJ just yet. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. That's an American sports media joke for you guys out there. I'm sure all three of you got it. We'll absolutely love it. But uh, on with the show. And like we haven't really got to keep it 101 this week. So we're going to get right into it on this one. So let's talk about matter. So, matter racing for the second time in three years has called in the administrators sad times at manor again and it's this was actually a little bit of a surprise to me because it 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 seemed that only a week or so ago they were talking about potentially being bought out again 
they were teasing the possibility of Antonio Giovinazzi coming over. It was the same Indonesian KFC-based owners. There was, there was seemingly like interest in this team in terms of potentially being bought out. And I, it seems, King, like now we know why there was interest. <laughs> yeah, there was interest because they had no money. And <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's, it's more like, do you really want to get Manor? Because, let's be honest, it doesn't seem like they're going to be anywhere but the end of the field. Because how long has it been now since 2010? Six seasons? Six, Six seasons. seasons. It's, it's been, been seven seasons, in fact. Oh, They've seven. been around for seven seasons. They have been around longer than Caterham, who everybody was expecting Caterham to just beat the pants off of Russia and Manor and every other iteration thereof. They've obviously outlasted the likes of HRT and USF1. <laughs> yeah. Again, your your bar is real high when you mention USF One. <laughs> I was about to say um, the only thing Manor is missing right now is a movie. Oh God! <laughs> what what, what these, the 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 eight season plan? Yes, yes. <laughs> that that works. Um, but yeah, like they they they've had no money, and it was owner uh, Stephen Kirk. I think was was it was it Kirkpatrick? I think his name is Kirkpatrick. Who owns yeah, Manor? Yeah, my bad. Um, sorry, I'm terrible with names. But yeah, he came out earlier this week and pretty much said, well, Felipe Nasa's ninth place in Brazil and hence Salba finishing above them into the top 10 in the Constructors' Championship was pretty much the catalyst for this day. I think Mana were hoping that that 10th place Constructors' money was going to keep him afloat for the time being and um, they no longer have that and that's pretty much what's forced them into this with them being now in administration. And uh, yeah, King is, I mean... Is, is there any hope for this team now going forward? Because, I mean, it, they seemed dead and buried when they were in administration first time around, and they were bought out at the 11th hour, and they were able to take the grid. And here we are again, like, almost two years later, and they're in trouble. They're in big, big trouble again here now. And are they, are they still going to get bought out? Like, I'm not sure where, where this goes from here with Manor. Like... Oh, I, I really want to say it's a coin toss because you know what you're getting in with when you get into Manor now because yeah, you it's it's a money hole because the last guy bought them out after administration and then yet we, here we are again. Manor can't make money and it's the way the system is kind of designed. You need money to make money in F1 but you need a ton of money to even consider that in Formula 1. Yeah, like most things in life, you've got to spend resources to make resources, and that's something managers doesn't have on any level. And as King alluded to, the system, when it comes to revenue, I mean, we've talked about this before. Um, I, I certainly have on my website when it comes to writing about the sport as how it's been, is that, simply put, Formula 1 is just not sustainable at, at any level outside of the top four, or unless you're a factory that also sells cars. I mean... It's that it's obvious. I mean, RJ, you got, you got something to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's really it's tough because the kind of economic environment the Formula One is built for is built for all factory teams, all manufacturers all the time. But of course, that's not sustainable because there are manufacturers that do not want to come in eighth, ninth, tenth place in the World Constructors Championship every single year. They'd rather just soon quit. Hi, Jaguar, how are you doing? Um, mm. And gosh, it's it's it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty it's, it's very bad. bad. Like, like we've mentioned, mentioned that 
you know, 11th place in the Constructors' Championship doesn't get you jack shit. I mean, man racing had, by their standards, a very good year with Pascal Verline scoring points for them. And by the end of the season, they had what you could easily consider a Mercedes-Benz Jr. team with Pascal Verline and Esteban Ocon. Uh, let's shift focus to another sport. Man, Aston Villa were terrible, and Newcastle United were also dreadful. They're both getting relegated down the championship. They get $55, $60 million for having, like, dreadful seasons by their standards of excellence. Manor has a pretty good season, and all they get is a notice to all their employees that they better start looking for new work. Yeah, it's it's not a fair fight. I mean, I mean, I wrote a column about this called Manor in the Formula of Survival. It's up on motorsport101.net, our website right now. And I made two comparisons, and one was it was two American sports. It was the NFL and the NBA. The NFL... The NFL is deliberately calibrated so that every team has a near equal chance of winning. Now, of course, like coaches and obviously skill position players and whatnot are going to make a difference. But in principle, every team has got a pretty good chance of winning if the right circumstances befell them. And for example, the worst team in the NFL gets the number one draft pick for the next season, meaning they have the best chance of taking the best talent from the collegiate system beneath the NFL every single year. Shout out to Cleveland. But uh, it's one of those things where every single year, like, and of course, when it comes to the, to the money in the NFL, all 32 owners split the money evenly across all 32 teams. In Formula One, it's a pyramid-based system where if you're at the top, you get the most money, you get bonus money depending on race wins, and if you're Ferrari, you get historical payments just for existing. $90 million just for turning up on the grid every year. It's not a fair fight. Not in the slightest. And if you're out of the top 10 altogether, you make zero money. Yeah. Like every, and every I mean, team gets... Yeah. One thing I like Go to on. point out here. Besides Manor and Haas, you know what the youngest team on the grid is? God, hang on. Let me think here. It's Force India, isn't it? Nope. They existed before then. As you know... Uh, Jordan before then. The young- oh, yeah. oh, from a historical yeah. standpoint. Historical um, standpoint. Youngest team on the grid is Sauber. They were founded in 1993. Yes, yes. And, and, and if, if not, not for that 9th place, place finish by Felipe Nasser in Brazil, we might be talking about Sauber in the same position as Manor in now. And Yeah, and Sauber's, uh, Sauber is coming off a couple of really bad seasons by their hands. I mean, not so much last year, but the year before. Um, I think it was 24. 2014 was the first time that they ever went without scoring points. In 2015, they rebounded off a really hot start to the season, but it was looking really bad for most of 2016 until investors came along and, of course, Felipe Nasser finishing ninth, which for his for his hard work and dedication and that result, Felipe Nasser will probably have to look for another employment because there are no more seats left and he doesn't have the money to stay in Formula 1 with Sauber. Yep, that, as you may already have known, Felipe Nasser has been replaced at Sauber by Pascal Verlein, who um, we, haven't talk, we haven't talked about that on the podcast yet, obviously, because it's been two weeks since our last show. But yeah, Pascal's now in at Sauber. Felipe Nasser, for all his hard work, has been rewarded with unemployment, as you do. F1 is a cold, cold world, my friends. But um, it's it ultimately, it, it's not a good look, King, if if a sport is just willing to let one of its teams die like this. And it's, it's 
the more times they enter administration, the harder it's going to be for them to bounce out of it. And like you say, why would anyone want to buy this team? It's a money pit. It's going to be near impossible for Manor to make money unless someone pours an obscene amount of money into this team for probably no return on that investment. So at this point, surely Manor is just like a corpse is bleeding out at this point, right? Yeah, <laughs> because as Gene Haas proved, even starting from scratch is even more difficult. The only reason why Haas was so successful because he poured so much money and even got Delara to build their chassis for the first season. Yeah, and Gene made it clear from the start he was willing to lose a lot of money and he was willing to lose $100 million a year to try and make this work. And that's something that... Manor, that's more than Manor's budget for an entire season. Yeah. So, $100 million could get you a factory LMP1 program. Yeah, Audi's top tier program for LMP1 was $80 million. Gene was willing to lose 100 a year to make this Haas F1 team work. That is what we're dealing with here. And Haas don't get prize money for this season because they're a brand new team in the first place. Um, yeah, RJ, what do you want to say, man? I was, I was going to say, like, like this, this whole situation with Manor, it really reminds me of the time that Minari almost collapsed in between 2000 and 2001. Because in 2000, uh, it looked like Telefonica was actually going to buy out Minority, move the team to Madrid, and they were going to become a power. And then they withdrew their offer. And then Gabriele Rumi, who owns Fine Metal, suddenly became the Eternal Cancer, so they lost one of their... One of their top investors, they lost the company that was going to buy the team, make them a big deal. And going into 2001, it didn't look like they would be on the grid at all until Paul Starter basically bought the team in like late January or early February, scrapped together last year's car, made a couple of changes, and just happened to stick Fernando Alonso in one of their seats. And then it turned out all right for the next five years, although Starter was very much butting heads with Bernie Eccleso for the next five years because... Um, Bernie made it clear from the outset that he didn't want Minardi dragging down the image of Formula One, and Starter and Starter would just have none of it. Um, <laughs> True. So that's basically what we're looking at. I don't want to say the matter are done until they make an announcement saying that yeah, we're done. But as, mu as much as I'd like to remain optimistic that they can turn this around, I don't know. And that's and that's really sad. You know me. I I pull for the back markers like. Very few others. Like they're yes. they're my boys. They're they're the source of like all the the backmarker teams often take risks on talent that no other teams will because they're too willing to play it safe with veteran experience or whatnot. And we've seen that with Manor and its previous iterations of the past. They took a gamble on Jules Bianchi when Luis Razzius checks bounced at the eleventh hour. Um, they were willing to get Will Stevens or Roberto Mary drives last year. They were willing to take some money from Mercedes and Benz to give Pascal Verline and eventually Esteban Ocon a drive. They gave Alexander Rossi a drive at the end of last season. I mean, shoot, there was a time where taking a drive at what was then known as Virgin Racing was more of a sure thing than Renault, which is why Timo Glockburn spurned a Renault deal to go sign with Virgin. Yeah, that was a real thing in late 2009 and early 2010. Yeah, like that, it's true. It's absolutely right. Lower teams are willing to gamble. I mean, look at HRT. At one point, they had some guy in their seat called Daniel Ricardo. 
wonder what happened to him. Um, it, but you're absolutely right. They gamble. They do gamble. And we get to see young talent come out through those guys. Aldo Pasta, Pasta! The, the guy, guy who decides Mercedes championship winning cars. He was a minority alum from back in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Yeah, very much true. But I mean, yeah. like, it's so frustrating because, you know... To make the comparison to, like, IndyCar, where the backmarkers could actually stand a chance from making gambles. In Formula 1, it's like, you take a gamble, maybe you finish midfield. Yeah, because in IndyCar, the field is much more balanced to begin with, where, you know, having a gamble could have a dramatic effect on your Grand Prix, and in Formula 1, you might scrape a point or two. That That's, that's just how lopsided the field is right now, and... They have to change the pay scale, in my opinion, or at least find a way to make the sport a lot cheaper. Because, I mean, when the moment they committed to this hybrid system, the costs spiraled out of control. Team, like, factories were holding independent teams to ransom over these power unit costs. Obviously, the, the cap's come in to fix at least that side of the problem. But it, it, these, these cars are still ludicrously expensive, much more so than the V8 era that came before it. And... You know, when when guys like Claire Williams are coming out saying, oh, yeah, because you've just got twice as many moving parts in, they're now twice as expensive to run a car for a season than it was in the V8 era. You know, this is the point of no return now. We, yeah. we, we're getting the, the second iteration of these hybrid rules in effect now with the 2017 cars coming next month. And th- this is it now. This is it. Like, like And it's, it's, it makes the pyramid pay scale even more important now because... Simply put, I think they just need to make Formula 1 more sustainable at the bottom. But as RJ pointed out, Bernie doesn't like bottom feeders. But the problem is is that somebody has to finish in last. Like There's, yeah. there's no getting around it. And somebody is going to have to suffer here. Not every team's financial future is guaranteed, especially in today's tough climate. Not even if you're a manufacturer as well. I mean, how many how many tough seasons did Honda have before they said, no, we're done with this? Hell, Toyota and BMW Sauber, when they pulled the plug in 2009, they weren't actually that bad. Toyota were just starting to come through as a top-tier level team when they quit in 2009. Like, they were up there challenging for podiums and wins. Like, Toyota, like many people say that their 2010 Toyota car was going to be a top-tier contender until Toyota pulled the plug on the project at the end of 2009. Jaguar was quit in, the, in that time. BMW, Sauber was was solid, especially around 2008 when they actually won a Grand Prix with Robert Kubica. And again, like even like if the factories can be affected by this, it's I can't imagine yeah. what it's like for the independent teams um, who, you know, have it three times worse because at least if you're a factory you can a run at a loss and b sell some road cars to compensate for the problem (laughs) yeah and the thing is like uh when the cars are expensive someone has to pay for it and usually those costs are eventually pushed down the line to the fans because if the cars are expensive the teams need to get paid more the teams need to get paid more formula one needs to find the money to pay them how do they find the money to pay them? Let's see. Um, make the television contracts more expensive so Formula One's no longer on free-to-air TV. Make the sanctioning fees more expensive so the promoters need to spend more money to host Formula One races. So to do that, they need to make the ticket prices more expensive. And it goes on and on and on. Someone has got to take the hit. And we'll talk about this later on with 
with another story regarding Silverstone, but it's, it's the same kind of deal. But that's what it is now. Somebody's got to take a hit financially here. Someone along the food chain's got to take that L. And unfortunately, it has a knock-on effect on the entire sport in general. And, and the thing is yeah. that the manufacturers purposely put up a wall to to keep the lower teams down because the lower teams wanted, like, I think a couple years ago, Manor, I think back when they were Marussia, were asking if customer cars could be a thing, and obviously the manufacturers said, no, they don't want customer cars to be a thing. And even, even Michael Andretti said, if customer cars were a thing in Formula 1, he would be in Formula 1 right now. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's so much more affordable and, and you've still got the sports brand name to help you get your name out there. I mean, how much bigger a name would Andretti be from as a, on a global level if they were in Formula 1 as opposed to just being an indie car and, an, and on the American scene, for example? Yeah, like, if, if customer cars were a thing, I could guarantee you that Ganassi and Andretti would be there. I don't think Penske would come over because they're... Penske's pretty defined on them wanting to build their own cars. Even in IndyCar at the moment, they don't like the the spec chassis idea. Right. Yeah, yeah they, they were, were willing, willing to buy, build their own chassis and cart until it was literally no longer competitively viable for them to do so. Yeah, like, like, there, were, there were some bad years for Penske in the late 90s, let me tell you. If you're used to the juggernaut that they are now, just go back and watch some 1998 and 1999 footage where they weren't shit. Yeah, it was basically like... Uh, Penske and the Reynards, which was basically everyone was running by that point except Penske. He's a stubborn old boy, that captain, isn't he? <laughs> but, um, yeah, absolutely right. And, again, it's it's just another, you know, log on the fire of F1's continual financial problems. Because, again, it feels like I'm repeating myself from two years ago when I mentioned this. I think, because I think King... The podcast was in its very early days when Manor first went into when they first went into administration the first time round, yeah. and it got bought out. It was it was right towards the end of 2014, early 2015, back when the podcast first started, and not much has changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. I mean, as 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 good old Kraken pointed out back then, HRT back then Lotus, and then back then Virgin. They only joined in the first week because they they were given the promise that the sport was getting cheaper. Yeah, they were given they happened. were given the promise that there would be a cost cap, which never came. Like, did, did no one in like did Tony Fernandez not sit there on point and realize? Wait a minute, why on earth would Ferrari ever agree to a cost cap? Yeah. The same great genius that has led Queens Park Rangers to uh, all their greats. Uh, <laughs> don't actually know. Let's let's on, pass. On, on second thought, maybe that was a bit more obvious than I thought. Yeah, because, um, because the way the participation contracts work in Formula One, technically you can't just pull out unless you're like you're bankrupt. You go into administration. That's the only way you could get out of F one early. Once you sign that contract, you're stuck in Formula One for ten years unless you break the contract. As we saw with Red Bull, that were teasing that possibility a couple of years ago, you know, 2015. Where they were, we were considering paying me five hundred million euros to get out of their ten-year agreement. Half a billion. Yep. How, how much would Mana kill for that right now? <laughs> oh, goodness, it's it's bad, and I I'm sincerely hoping that everybody at Manor, not just the drivers and like the top brass, but I'm hoping that all the mechanics and staff can get back on their feet somewhere. There's a lot of people, a lot of good and talented people who have features of motorsport at Manor Racing that are now really out in the lurch and 
Uh, should, I hope it all turns out well. I'd love to see them back in some form this year, uh, even after all the rumored agreements with guys like Tavo Hellman. Uh, Ron Dennis was rumored to be in discussions. Yeah, of but course, he's the got that down. Yeah, he shot that down real quick. Ron Dennis said he was not interested in Manor at all. Yeah. I, that was the most direct Ron Dennis has ever been in, like... <laughs> 40-odd years in motorsport. I was like, oh, wrong cut to the chase. What What, what was he smoking? Yeah, that's uh, how you know that this was real. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine, like, oh, so Ron Dennis, what do you reckon this man in the room? Fuck no! <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you're abs- I, could, I, could, I completely echo RJ's sentiments. I, I do wish everyone a man of the best. It's it's not a nice time of year to be told that, oh, you, like, I mean, there's not really any good time of year to be told you could be being made redundant, but especially just after Christmas, you probably spent a ton of money on your families for Christmas and whatnot, and you're now waiting for that, and desperately waiting for that January paycheck. I know I am. Um, but, um, you know, and then you're being told you could be being made redundant. That's awful news. And, again, it could be two less seats on the grid next year, which makes the driver market situation even more difficult yes, as well. And, and, and if you're not a big fan of the, uh, the stagnant talent in Formula 1 with young drivers not getting enough chances and drivers not moving out of GP2 or GP3 when they should, oh, boy, with less seats on the grid, it's going to get even worse worse just as yep. it did in the mid 2000s the last time we were at 20 cars for a significant period of time hope you like stuff of van norman when we see anyone new for a little while um, <laughs> that's the uh, hashtag sv2 because boy it's going to be hard for anyone new to get in there now it's going to be yeah. even harder and it was already a broken system to begin with with you know top tiers plucking talents out of their arse basically um and getting first quarter whenever the hell they wanted and then the bottom feeders getting next to nothing and then of course money coming into play for a lower end team in the first place yeah but it's it's, it's gonna it's gonna have to get ugly for anything to get fixed to be honest like i remember when manor first filed for administration everyone's like oh three car teams are gonna be it's gonna have to be a thing now. Three car teams are gonna have to, be, have to be a thing, and then Manor gets saved, and it all gets washed away, and then oh, everything's back to being fine again. It's gonna have to get bad, like maybe even MotoGP, like bad. Oh, MotoGP in the early 2010s. Oh boy, like the claiming rules, the CRT rules, pretty much saved MotoGP from extinction. Like they. Like, the sport was in really, really bad shape after Kawasaki and Suzuki pulled out in simultaneous years. Because the sport, ironically, was getting too expensive. Um, They were introducing prototypes, a lot of custom-made parts. And, of course, like, Kawasaki thought, sod this, we're not getting involved. We're going to pull out and focus on our superbike game instead, using bikes we already build out of our own factory. And, hey, it's worked out kind of okay for them. Shout out to Tom Sykes and Jonathan Ray. But in the meantime, that's what happened in MotoGP. And at one point, we, we had like 17 full-time riders in MotoGP. Yeah, like... 17. You could, you could argue that 2012 was one of the best modern F1 seasons. In terms of MotoGP, 2012 was a completely different story. Yeah, it was, it was basically change the rules or die, basically, at this point. Um, 2012, Jorge Lorenzo won the world title. Casey Stoner, one of the three big runners in the title, got injured mid-season. He was out of the running. Nobody really believed in in Danny Pedrosa anyway. And looking at the scoreboard right now, that was about, God, 
there was 16 full-time runners in MotoGP, maybe 17 if you if you count Yoni Hernandez. But um, God, Yoni Hernandez was around in 2012. God, I feel old. <laughs> Um, but there was effectively about 16, 17 full-time runners. And yeah, manufacturers, yeah, forget it, basically. Um, Honda, Yamaha, Ducati. In fact, it was just Honda and Yamaha. They won every single race that season. And that just kind of says it all, really. Ducati, their best result was dead. A couple of second places, thanks to Valentino. But besides that, it was ART, Iota, and a bunch of suitors. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, imagine MotoGP, MotoGP not having a problem with a bunch of customer bikes being competitive. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Yeah, <laughs> but silver lining, at least MotoGP learned from that, you know, down years to become something that, you know, how many bikes are we going to have in the field next year? 24, 24 bikes from, I think, what, six, five different manufacturers. Six, six, six different okay. factory teams. But the problem is now, I'm almost terrified of how far it has to fall for Formula One uh, before you get any change involved. And how many more teams are going to have to go and solve it? Sauber's been on shaky ground for a while. Forsythia, despite their good form, has been on shaky ground for a while. Who knows if Gene Haas is going to be able to keep sinking all this money into it? Who knows if Renault are going to be able to afford sinking money into their project if they keep finishing mid-table? Not to make like let's put it to you this way, fellas. Do you remember Cota twenty fourteen? Yeah. Sixteen car grid that weekend? Yeah. It was and, and it says a lot when Johnny Herbert was the voice of reason that weekend where he straight up said, Listen, someone's gotta finish and last you guys and that was a response to to uh, was it Simon Lazenby mentioned, Oh, what about three car teams? And I'm like, Hello, that doesn't like you, 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 you. Okay, so your solution to teams spending too much money is to make them spend even more money by having a third car. No, but the illusion of of competition. But the thing is, like you, for for every car you do run, it it costs significantly significantly less to run the next car because you're not designing a new car. You're just building a new car in a design you already have. But even so, it would have made the mountain to climb for the factory and for for the independent teams to be even higher when the factories are all going to be running three cars and taking all the points away. That that was the biggest issue with that. And but again, they they would have to restructure how they give out the money in that case because again, if there's going to be so many factory cars like there was in the past, you're going to have to restructure how you know the way you distribute money, which again would again solve the problem by itself. At the going rate, I would just expect Ferrari to get even more money for turning up and having an average year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, 90 million bucks for finishing third. <laughs> just basically being a pain in the fucking ass every year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for- Ferrari right. got more money than the world champions this year. How? <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's 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 a pain in the ass. And like I said, the pay scale needs to be changed. But of course, that would require the factory teams giving up a slice of the pie, and no factory is going to be doing yeah. that anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, like because, like why would they? When when I, when I argue that oh everyone should get be paid equally in Formula One because everyone you know contributes to the show as much as everyone else does <laughs> in terms of teams, and then everyone's like no you should get a prize for winning, and I'm like what did Mercedes get? They didn't even get the most money out of anyone this year. Yeah, because figures the 
the, the beauty of Mercedes is that they claim the marketing is worth like billions of dollars to them as a road car manufacturer. Not every team's got that privilege. And, yeah. you know, that, that leads to all sorts of problems. But I completely agree. Pay everyone the same. Give them the same flat rate. And just make life at the bottom more sustainable. Otherwise, you won't have teams ruining your image by coming into administration and saying your sport is unsustainable and teams being in and out like a jack-in-the-box every two fucking seconds because if if the marketing is that valuable you'll compete no matter what you get for competing exactly like i said like mercedes ran a loss of like 80 million in 2014 when they won their first constructors title in donkey's years and they said that the marketing value of that was two billion euros yeah they could run at a 500 million euro loss and they would still run because they will sell enough road cars to make up the difference that's how they operate that's how these factories think teams like force india they can't run at a loss forever like teams like sabata don't have a secondary income to compensate this are are not going to be able to do that like 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 even williams who make parts for for racing racing technology technology. like they invest in that stuff and they're, they've had to invest a lot in pay drivers recently. There was a point in time where I thought Williams were going to go the way of Tyrrell once they signed Pastor Maldonado and Bruno Senna, who were both pay drivers. Of course, uh, that turned out a bit differently. And now things are fine for the most part, but they could get bad again for them really, really quickly. Yeah, well, what, what are they going to do next year when Felipe Massa hangs it up again? Then what? Yeah, then what? somehow find Alex Lynn in whatever hole he's in for next year and try to convince him, oh, we were sorry about not signing you to that race. Can you please come back? But then, then that, that, that leads to another problem. Alex Lynn would not be 25 at that point. Oh, damn. <laughs> he's 23 right now. Did have to call Felipe Nazarup, who would be 25 by then, because he's 24. He was born three days after me, okay. basically. Assuming, assuming he's not being groomed to be the protege of Tony Kanaan and Elio Castroneves by that point in IndyCar. Hey! <laughs> but, uh, like I said, there's so many strands and offshoots we can go from a story like this with a team going into administration. But, um, point case in point, it's shit. It's bad. It's awful. There's no gain to be made from this. It's just another story where like F1 needs to just grab itself by the bollocks and go, come on, guys, let's sort this shit yeah, out yeah. already. Like the, the only good thing is the fact that you can learn a lesson. Whether you choose to learn it or not is on them. Like I said, and you mentioned MotoGP, and look at them as an example. They're a shining example of learning from history. Where the, like I said, the, the CRT rules say, literally saved the sport. And now it, w- it woke Dorna up and realized, wait, if we give the teams money where they can survive, we get a better product for everybody. Like, wait, it's worth dropping a, a, like a few a few million into these MotoGP teams, making them more competitive, giving them better equipment, better machinery, and having a more competitive, healthier sport. Look how amazing this season was. And this was the year before these changes come into effect. Yeah, and, they, and it created a climate where Dorna expects that every team should be able to survive financially to the point where, yeah, if you finish in last place, Dorna reserves the right to buy your spot in the sport for someone else to come in because they really don't feel that anyone's going to go bankrupt competing in MotoGP anymore. Whereas, it's just like, well, if you're, if you're shit out of luck, then you're shit out of luck. 
Yay, bring back USF1 and all their glorious toasters. <laughs> and on yeah, that note... Uh, I, 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 not, I, I, not besmirch the legacy of Pacino Lopez like, like this. this. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see what Lopez could do in a Formula 1 car. <laughs> me too, me too, me too. Okay, um, and on that note, I think we'll just about call it that for that mana segment. And um, again, as I said before, wishing everyone a mana the best. I hope they can find either new jobs or find the way for the team to be saved because... It's, it's bad for everybody, and nobody wants to see another team fall apart like this. And I've seen... I, I saw people that don't even talk about Formula 1 normally on my t- on my Twitter timeline talk about Mana going bust. And that, like, that's how ugly a look this is for a sport that doesn't normally give much of a shit outside of when Lewis Hamilton scratches his nuts. So for, for that to be a thing, it's not good. It's a bad look for, for everybody involved, and I hope they get their issues sorted out soon. We'll take a quick musical interlude, and then we'll come back and let's talk about... The Las Vegas E-Race. God help us. Make the good Lord help us all. Formula E. Uh, where do you where do you even start on this one? Um, all right, we start with um, just some basic ingredients of how to make a Las Vegas E race. You have video games, very fun. Esports, very fun. Uh, sim racing, also very great. Formula E, entertaining product. Professional race drivers, great. Sim racers with years and years of experience and investment in their craft, also awesome. Put that all together, and you get. Oh no! Oh no! What have we done? What have we done here? Oh no! Why is everything on fire? Um, <laughs> uh, like, that, that, like, like somewhere, I think Alejandro Igog was looking into a mirror and he's like, "The internet said this would be great. The internet said this would be great. <laughs> we got Shaq and Sir Charles to drive the sim cars for a gag." It's it's oh. I wanted this to be good. I wanted this to be I so re- good. I actually bought, like, this was a race. I, I think, besides Abu Dhabi last year, I think this race was probably the most hyped I was for. I was excited for this. This had potential to be brilliant. It was like, RJ, as, as he quite rightly said, this had potential to be amazing. And I think that's what's... That's going to be the overwhelming theme in this segment as we talk about the sea race. This could have been amazing. You know, you had an amazing venue. You had, you know, a, a sport on the rise. You, you know, we finally get to talk about esports and motorsport because esports is one of the biggest rising upward trends in the world. If anyone's seen, like, for example, South Korea, where StarCraft is their fucking national sport. If uh, anyone like, has seen ESPN, where the Evolution Championship Series of Fighting Games was featured on primetime television uh, for fucking Street Fighter V, which blew yeah, my mind to somebody who was in, really, really engrossed in a competitive fighting game like six or seven years ago. That's a true yeah, story. Yeah, that's true story on my end as well. Like, I, I, I would never have gotten into racing games if it wasn't for seeing it on the Championship Gaming Series 
back in 2007 because it was on Sky One and you had to stay up at like 11 p.m. to watch it because they were they were airing esports live on Sky One at 11 o'clock at night. And now uh, it's, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar business. I mean, Turner Sports, the same people who handle most of the NBA's uh, national production. Uh, yes. They invested heavily into this Vegas E-Race. They did all the production. They had their NBA pundits actually take a drive in a sim car with Antonio Felix da Costa. Yeah, that was amazing. They had the Costa come down. Like they, they, like there was a lot of investment riding on this. There was a lot of hype going into this, and the even the prospect of it was very top trumps, and that is a good thing. Where you had, you know, some of the finest sim racers on the planet, including. The guy that stuck out to me the most multiple time FSR world champion Bono Huis, um, who would go on to win the event alongside some of Formula E's finest, like again, like the Costa, um, like Mitch Evans, who sadly wasn't even able to take part for reasons we'll get to, and etc. Like David Greco, who now works for Codemasters and helps develop their racing games as well. Greco too was, was like the the, the Michael, Michael Schumacher of sim racing, multiple time champion of a bunch of different organized series. But uh, yeah, it it just didn't come together well as a broadcast, as a package. As I mean, King, where do you think it all went wrong, really? Because like, for what it's worth, I don't think any of us were particularly impressed at how this all turned out in the end. I think like, what 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 broke it for you? For me, probably outside the lead, like the midfield stuff between. Like, the actual real-life drivers were probably what let it down for me. Because, seemingly yes. enough, if they weren't in contention for the lead, they basically drove like there were zero consequences. Because to them, that's there was no consequences. If they crashed their car, it's not like, oh, I damaged a $200,000 front wing and potentially endangered my life and the lives of others. To them, there was no consequences. What the fuck was Mark Wing Hard doing? Like... <laughs> for example, and for all of them, it was a free paycheck. Like, yeah. oh, 20000 if you make the top 10. Great. Um, you know, $20,000. For them, it was basically a free check and, you know, a free holiday to go to Vegas and drive some sims, drive, drive a simulator for a little bit, basically. And yeah. I think a lot of the pro drivers just came into it with the mindset of, like, ah, oh, this is just a bit of fun. And the sim racers, understandably so, took it with a bit more serious attitude because, again, we're talking about $200,000 to the winner, 100000 to second place. Um, I have commentated on sim racing events where the top prize was, like, a free game on Steam or a shifter accessory for a steering wheel or, like, a $50 gift card. Like, the one way to legitimize esports has been to just sink money and pay actual money to these um, virtual athletes for their time and investment. And sim racing is an expensive sport to get into, especially if you want to take it seriously with the amount that you have to invest in steering wheels, potentially a cockpit, triple screen monitor setups, a PC, several consoles... It's 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 it's, all, it's not quite as expensive as running real motorsport, but it's certainly more expensive than trying to become pro at like I don't know League of Legends or FIFA or what have you. Absolutely, you're talking thousands of dollars to to just have the but, equipment but to really be feasible. Even in <laughs> even in Formula E terms, that is a lot of money because if you like spread out the prize money they get at the end of the year, a race win is worth about ninety eight thousand dollars. 
Oh my god! Yeah! So in other words, the top prize for this race was nearly double what an actual Formula E race winner gets. Yes. That is part of the, that is also another big part of the problem is that this almost kind of felt like it was a bigger deal than any other actual race on the calendar. When it felt like it, because you had Nicky Shields doing coverage, you had Jack Nichols and Dario Franchitti on commentary. And props it to Nichols and Franchitti for just being on it, like doing their homework about the sim drivers that other people may not know about. Yeah, you got to remember, Jack Nichols was the commentator for FSR for quite a long time in terms of their video coverage on YouTube. That's how he got his name going as a young'un. So I'm glad <sighs> that he he's kept his he's, he's kept his finger in that pie, so to speak. But um. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they did their homework. They were like, they were for me the best parts yeah. of the show. I mean, Nichols and Frankiti are like, becoming one of the best commentary booths in the business. They are superb together. Can I also say, say that they should make the Vegas e racetrack in real life? Because oh yeah, that was fantastic. It was fun. If the they if they got down, nothing right. else right, they did this track so so well. Like what what like. What was probably like an uh, honorable mention in things that disappointed me is the fact that that track is not available on R Factor 2, even though, like, it's designed for R Factor 2. They did the race on R Factor 2, but it's not publicly available as a mod on R Factor 2. Why? Just put it on there. Get some publicity. Like, like that's the one thing that I saw that was universally praised. The track looked great. Shit, you can't even charge for it. United yeah. Racing Design gets away with that all the time. Yeah, even charge five bucks for the track, and you know you you'd get people buying that. I mean, geez, it was a good looking track. So yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, the driving standards weren't great. The pros, like outside of Felix Rockenfist, oh my goodness, we need to talk, talk about Felix Rosenquist because man, he stood out like a gem. I'm telling you, uh, with all with all respect to our departed friend Adam Johnson's boy Shane Van Gisbert, and Felix Rosenquist is probably this generation's race in anything, win in everything sort of driver. Yeah, he is the throwback from the '60s and '70s that we've longed for for years. And even in a sim car, he was miles above his peers. Yeah, absolutely. And like the kid is such a talent. He he, he could like he's just Albert, got that. you have the wrong Swede. <laughs> <laughs> Like, hey, hey, Rosenquest. Like, I'd be like, hey, Toto Wolf, you got you got Rosenquest on your DTM payroll. You got an open seat in Formula One. Hello? <laughs> Get me the program. Get the program, <laughs> Toto. Sign this kid. Rose, that kid is amazing. That kid is a superb talent. My God, he, he could put his mind to anything. Like, can, can he run for president? <laughs> like, I know he's not American, but can we, like... Can we give me that? No? Uh, oh, whatever. Well, I mean, if we got a Russian loyalist running, never mind, I'll just... Okay, okay. Grand scheme of things. Apparently, this race replaced a possible Punta del Este race that would have happened this month in January. Was oh, it, damn it! Was it worth yeah. it? Was the e No! <laughs> was it worth it? <sighs> no, because I like Punta del Este. It was a mini surfer's paradise. And I, lo I love that circuit. God. And I, I just, it, it was, it could have been executed so well, but of course it wasn't. We got through some shaky driving standards from professional drivers. And then, of course, we got to uh, the finish. So for much of the first half of the main race, which is about where I started watching, Bono Huis was absolutely bossing it. Like, he checked out from the field. 
And, very Bono. Very Bono. Very, very <laughs> much Bono. Like, I'm making a case that Bono, we should get, like, a like a r- actual racing seat, like in a GTEM car or an LP2 car at Le Mans. Absolutely. He's that good. If he's, if he's fit enough to do it, like a Liam Arnberg or a Lucas Ordonez, I'd say go ahead and sign him. Um, yeah, carry on. Oh, goodness. Um, we get through much of the first half of this race, and Huiz is dominating right up until he and Felix Rosenquist come into this pits at the same time, and they both come out behind Mahindra driver Oli Pakula, who has been running a pretty solid third place uh, for much of this race. Um, this after a ooh, 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 a dreadful three-wide passing attempt that ended in <laughs> confetti. Oh, we have not talked about this. Oh, oh gosh. Um, so it was in the middle of like the. It was like a battle for a top five position. I can't recall who. Uh, I can't recall who was with it, and probably. I think David Greco was one of them. Yeah. So him and two other drivers got involved in like this three-wide passing attempt through a chicane that. If it had happened in real life, the crash certainly would have been fatal. It was <laughs> that horrendous. Oh, was... God, it was terrible. Oh, my God. So I mean, we, we, haven't even mentioned the, we haven't even mentioned the fact that two moves didn't even work during the event, so Mitch Evans couldn't even take part. Nor could Jerome D'Ambrosio, which, which, uh, which meant that Elizabeth Work was checking out of this race before it even got going. She, she, she was steamed. She was just venting about how much she hated this entire thing. The moment Jerome D'Ambrosio couldn't run, I'm guessing that wasn't a coincidence. Pretty, pretty much. Um, yeah, we, no, get through, no. we get through about three quarters of this race, and all of a sudden, Pakala, who has been running a solid but probably distant third, is in the lead of this race, with Huiz and Rosenquist a distant second. And nobody thinks anything of this, even after Pakala ca- captures... The checkered flag and takes the two hundred thousand dollar check for winning the Vegas E race ahead of Bonaparte and Felix Rosenquist ready sterling battle for second place in the very last lap. Until it was found out that Ollie Pakula, who won one of the fan boosts, suddenly got uh, a bit more fan boost than he probably should have. And now it's less worth. And we we do we we do have to thank the the Twitter like people on Twitter basically found this out themselves because they made live timing available and they're like how is he putting out laps this fast this should not be possible yeah me and him have history but shout out to craig baxter for being the first person to point that out on twitter so yeah props to him because he, he spotted it straight away that yeah like these six laps were like two seconds a lap faster than everybody else sorry rj carry on right <laughs> right he was supposed to have about six seconds worth of fan boost just like real life but it turns out that he had that extra hundred kilowatts of power at his disposal for the remainder of the six laps and by the way it was so weird just seeing them drive this flat out in Formula E sim cars, where you still have to do a whole lot of lifting coast in real life. Yeah, because yep, exactly. battery batteries were not an issue. <laughs> yeah, very weird. But um, yeah, it turns out that uh, he had six extra six laps worth of fan boost as opposed to one. And then there was a, a whole heap of Twitter fury regarding this. Again, people have pointed out the lap times didn't make sense. Fans have pointed this out first before anybody else did. Like, like before, Formula E's, yeah, like, before this had happened, like, Bonahuis was upset. And I was thinking, oh, well, that's kind of disappointing because I've been in, uh, I've been in uh, team speak rooms where sim racing drivers get mad online about racing games. That's understandable. But then, like, all this started to come to light and suddenly... 
oh, he's got a point. He just got screwed out of what could have been a $200,000 prize and would have had to settle for $100,000 because the game oh, no. screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he had to settle for a hundred thousand dollars. Hey, what a that's guess. a massive <laughs> that's a massive difference. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, absolutely. Um gosh, and yeah, Bono he's had a legitimate gripe and it was I think it was one of the one of the drivers Facebook pages that released a short going live video explaining that yeah, the that could have been given a twelve second time penalty because of the fan boost to balance the books basically. And Bono Huis was declared the new winner. So Huis gets the 200,000 paycheck and Pakula drops down to third. So as a result, he's now in third. Ray probably should have been to begin with. Felix uh, Rosenfist gets gets up to finish in second and gets the $100,000 paycheck there. And Twitter mocks Formula E relentlessly for it because they were the last people on earth to actually tweet about the news. <laughs> Great! <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, um... Yeah, what people were already making, were already like doing parody account BS. Nino, uh, <laughs> yes, saying that Formula E had stripped um, Pacola of the race win before Formula E had even made an announcement, and teams bought it. Yeah, Faraday feel like, like Dragon Racing, and I believe Edams both took the bait off of Nino's parody account, which which, which isn't um which isn't winning a race off a post race time penalty just the most Dragon Racing thing ever. Yeah, if if, if the boot fits right, <laughs> yeah. If you, if you if you look at it like that, so yeah, absolutely, yeah, Mahindra. Um, unfortunately, losing out on a hundred thousand dollars worth of marketing revenue there by getting dropped down to from first to third, but. Uh, Overall, it's a shame. It's it's such a shame because I feel like this could have been amazing. And like I said, I growing up as a fan of the CGS when I was younger, I I want esports to to take over the world. I really do. And you know, it, it's, it, we're in a world where video games just don't get taken seriously on 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 a mainstream level, even if they sell like mainstream media does. But this was this was the biggest sim race in history, and this was a this could have been an amazing advertisement for for racing games and esports in general because the only real racing game to get massive esports coverage these days is Trackmania, which you know is kind of a different I would, ball I would want to see Formula E drivers and professionals in general try to tackle that like that is absolutely yeah like man. a lot of the in the lead up to this a lot of the Formula E team owners they basically said that they would love to replace you know the the e-race that they have at during every re- weekend between just the drivers and one fan with a full you know esports support series with just pro guys with just pro yeah. sim that would be amazing it would be, it would be, be much more viable than robo race yeah <laughs> don't tell who said Romo that on twitter by the way he'll kill us <laughs> but uh, but um yeah absolutely um I'd, I'd, I'd love to see an E-Race support series. I'd watch that. Yeah, get, yeah, get guys like Bono Huis more airtime on a, on a global level. That would be amazing because Formula Reed, the one thing it does do incredibly well, it has utilized the internet to incredible effect as a racing series, something that many racing series just don't do. So for that to happen, and like the bed was just basically shit on quite profusely on, on this one, and I just find that whole thing to be disappointing. And it, it could have been so great, and it just ended up being flat and was effectively panned on social media. And that's such a shame because I think it could have been amazing. But I really uh, think it could have been as well. And I and I really hope that if they don't stick with the idea, that someone else will pick up with it. Sim racing is really the only form of esports that has like a 
like a true crossover effect into like the real thing. We're seeing this with the GT Academy with drivers like Lucas Ordonez and Jan Martinborough going on to become full-time professionals. We mentioned how Bono Huiz is a Formula Sim Racing alum. So is Stoffel Van Dorn, who just signed a full-time McLaren Honda deal for 2017. Absolutely. So the crossover is there. There is a legitimate path that video game players can take to actually take part in motorsport and be good at it too. We now have a sim racer in Formula One. Two of them, because if you want want to count Max Verstappen, who's also a very active sim racer in his own right. So for that to happen and for us to miss out like that and for this great big opportunity to effectively, you know, be a big disappointment and just it just didn't come across well to the general viewer. Yeah, we got we got some work to do, but uh, I hope this isn't the end of the story. I hope that Formula E does take something in this, learn from it, improve, come back stronger. We talked about this in the last segment, after all. Um, if they can do that, then I see the potential in something like this. I think it could be amazing if done right. It just hasn't really worked out that way. So, yeah, here's hoping. More um, instant, more opportunities for sim racers to actually get paid. Damn it. Yeah, get paid. I mean, like I said a sim racer just got paid two hundred thousand dollars. That is badass. Like I don't care what anyone says. Get your money, Bono, and feel free to donate some and become a Patreon backer. That would be really cool. Um, <laughs> so Bono, if, if you're listening, <laughs> buy our new studio because Zach Brown won't buy it for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just he's a stingy old git. Speaking of which, let's get to the next segment and let's talk Monopoly and the, not the fact it's just a terrible board game, but actual motorsport. Yes, I'm monopoly. glad you're admitting it's a terrible board game. <laughs> okay, before we move on, I have to address this. I have played many a Monopoly game on the internet. I have kind of become like a growing advocate for Monopoly, and that's only really because I'm good at it, not because I enjoy it as a game. It's, it's, it's it not game. hard to be good at Monopoly. I hope you know that. Shut up, King. Like, Stop pissing on my bonfire, Okay. Jesus, but uh, okay, look, okay, the game takes far too long to play, it's not very hard to basically pick on the shit player, and there's a lot of luck involved in RNG, and it takes about 17 hours to play, and you will hate yeah, your family yeah, by take, the time you finish It takes 17 hours to play, and you'll probably know who the winner is by hour 9. Hour, what do you mean hour 9? <laughs> yeah, it takes, yeah, you'll probably know who's gonna win by hour 9. I can't even lie, I have Monopoly Streets on my 360, and I can't even lie to you guys in the sense of, well, the average game takes us about two hours to play on console, it's not a good look. Anyway, let's talk about some motorsport Monopolies and uh, the problems that may come with that. So Zach Brown likes his chicken fried, he likes cold beer on Friday night, he likes a pair of jeans to fit just right, and apparently he likes dropping money on a whole bunch of motorsport and motorsport-related properties. Yes. I also you realized that, I've also realized that I may be thinking about Zach Brown, the singer, and deliberately confusing him with Zach Brown, the CEO, and uh, realizing that, yeah, this, uh, this is entirely done on purpose, and I'm okay with this, and I will run this joke into the ground because that's what Formula One does. Boah. Oh dear. Thanks, RJ. That was the most creative intro to a segment we've ever had on this podcast. Well done, sir. Gold star. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I wanted to draw attention to this one because I feel this is something that not many people are actually talking about, and I feel like it needs to be talked about more often. They're talking and, about it, but not really giving it the attention that it deserves. 
Exactly, and I want to give a shout out to the guys at Side Podcast because they've been talking about this a lot since Zach Brown bought uh, bought into McLaren as you know, effectively the new CEO and as Ron Dennis's replacement. Even though, as we all know, he is director and chairman of the Motorsport Network. Now, for guys, those guys that don't know, Zach Brown is chairman of the Motorsport Network, and that network consists of Autosport, Motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, and Motors TV. Now. If you're outside the UK, you may not know what Modus TV is. Modus TV is basically the home of British motorsport in terms of TV coverage outside of the mainstream. It's on Sky, and I think it it, it was going to be on Freeview, but they pulled that out at the last minute. They ran out of money, so I'm going to turn the lights back on, and that never really came to fruition. But a lot a lot of domestic racing ends up on Modus TV, as well as like the Formula Renault series and other things like that, basically. Um, Chat to my man Scott Wibbers that was actually on there the other day. Good for him. But um, yeah, basically, it is a very, very powerful group in terms of British motorsport coverage and media in no, general. No, no, no. World you know, motorsport coverage. I was getting to that. <laughs> but uh, obviously, when it comes to world coverage, Zach Brown having that network under lock and key, and now they've just bought into Formula E. I don't think they've released like cost details or how much of a stake they actually bought in the sport, but it's clearly pretty significant if they felt the need to announce it and you know tell it to the world. And Zach Brown was on James Allen's YouTube channel talking about this the other day. Um, I think it was at CES 2017 yeah. um, that that all came out and. King, this is this is pretty crazy. That um, not only like because we if we've, if we've watched Formula E this year, we've seen the Motorsport.com banners all over these circuits relentlessly as a media partner for Formula E, and since now they're their, actually yeah, since their debut, since their debut, and now they've actually bought into the sport itself. Oh, <laughs> uh, and it's. <sighs> uh, it's such a big like red flag when. When a, a sports journalism company becomes invested in a sport they cover. Like, does, like, could, does anybody here on Twitter know of the term conflict of interest? No? No one at all? Because, like, it's like me and Cyborgos are the only people that are outside this network that have really talked about this at length. Because it... It's already having an effect. Like they pointed this out today, that like all columns on Autosport and Motorsport.com are practically identical now. On some cases, where people are writing for both sites and are using the exact same text on both websites, that's not a good look at all. And now they're directly involved in the sport and how it's covered, and they're covering a sport that they now actually invest in. Right. And there is. Uh, there were. There was some uh, hubbub about this between ESPN and the NFL a couple of years ago. That's still kind of ongoing, right? Donking. Uh, I would say it's far past ongoing because it got uh, Keith Olbermann and Be- and Bill Simmons were both fired from ESPN over it. That they basically, I think. It was mainly over the Ray Rice, you know, video scandal about how the NFL wasn't doing enough to address the domestic violence issues in, in the NFL. And essentially, because of their criticisms of the NFL, they got fired from ESPN. Yeah, that was ridiculous. And Bill Simmons was still kind of salty about that, even when he came back, only to obviously then start the ringer, as opposed to when he had Grantland under his, under his control as like the sub-market of ESPN in the first place. But, um, yeah, like, these conflicts of interest are difficult because you remember King last year when the NFL had, 
early in the season where they had daily fantasy stats with like, yeah. like partnerships with DraftKings yeah. and FanDuel involved as well. And they were invested in um, DraftKings and FanDuels. <laughs> yeah, just... And, and how, how much did the market crash on daily fantasy, though, in between 2015 <laughs> and 16? It's like once all the big states that actually mattered on the landscape uh, just banned that with the quickness, it's like, man, that yeah. market just tanked. Yeah, pretty much. And I think there was also some rumors that the reason, not this season, but the season prior in the NFL, that the reason why Monday Night Football schedule was so bad that the NFL specifically made the Monday Night games for ESPN terrible over what had happened. Wow. Yeah, so you could see the problems that being directly invested in a sport you cover can have its problems. And again, enormous conflicts of interest here and there. I mean, now motorsport.com and Autosport are going to cover Formula E, a sport that they directly are now invested in, and that could be disastrous. Yeah. And it's the same deal. I, I, would, I would like to bring up one example about Formula E's not-so-great relationship with the press. Concerning this season's Hong Kong Epri, where they got into some conflicts with the South China Morning Post, which is the biggest newspaper in Hong Kong. It has been for probably as long as the British were, like, initially, you know, colonized Hong Kong, where... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, yes, the South China Morning Post is the paper in Hong Kong. And during the weekend... Uh, Alejandro Agag and uh, Jean Tat, the president of the FIA, were both seen threatening a journalist from that newspaper over stories that uh, that, that journalist had published about the EPRI, mainly over the, uh, the Formula E had put up barriers blocking views from basically the nearby buildings overlooking the circuit. And they kind of... The, the journalist was very thorough and called out Formula E on their BS, saying that the that the view-blocking barriers were a safe, safety necessity and that the 50 million Hong Kong dollars that the city was going to lose because of the race was irrelevant. And wow. Yeah, yeah. And basically, by being honest and putting the truth out there, that journalist got threatened by the president of the FIA in person, face-to-face. And you, you can, can only imagine what that's gonna, what this, what this investment could potentially do for other publications and people who work in them. Like I know the first thing I thought when I heard about this story is like, man, are the people at current E and E Racing going to be all right after this for the long term? Yeah, that's like a lot of people were worried about. Is uh, Motorsport Network gonna buy any more publications? Like I saw a bunch of motorcycle fans worried. Like, is is David Emmett and Motor Matters gonna get bought out? Is MCN gonna get bought out eventually? Oh. No, not 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 them. Not not David. We well, I love David. He's amazing at Motor Matters. Yeah, but like, people are worried. <laughs> and I think Motorsport.com had put a story out about the the incident between the the journalist and John Tott and Alejandro Igog. And now I can't find it on their website. Like I tried to find it for this show, and I can't find it. Hmm. I'm funny that. <sighs> Yeah, it's and again, like as RJ mentioned, it could lead to media accreditation for other places. Like, um, if if what if Current E puts out an article that puts the sport in a bad light, that, like they could just say, okay, you're not you're not allowed to come to any races anymore. You can't send your journalists here. We could sue you for defamation, etc. All sorts of shit, and that is just an awful look for journalism on, on, from that sort of standpoint as well. 
And I even remember going back to when it was announced that Zach Brown was taking over as CEO of McLaren, or from the F1 department at least. And half the ho- half the Autosport homepage was covering McLaren as stories. <laughs> this was even this was, this was even before the announcement that Zach Brown was taking over. So you could see how dangerous this can be, and how it could ruin the free press in terms of a Formula E standpoint. And it's it's alarming. And I, I want to give a shout-out to F1 Broadcasting on Twitter for this one because they put a, a great-looking diagram on their website explaining this, that you can now basically boil down Formula 1 and motorsport coverage on a global level down to four people. On on one side, you've got Mike Zoy and Zach Brown, who obviously Zach Brown's got the motorsport network. We mentioned that earlier with McLaren, Formula E, and of course, pretty much every major world journalistic entity for motorsport on earth. You've got John Malone, who owns Liberty and Liberty Global, which means Virgin Media, which means part investment in Formula One alongside Chase Carey, who have a working relationship with Discovery, which means they own Eurosport, and of course, also invested in Formula E as a sport. Yeah, like Liberty Global, they're the primary owners of Formula E. Their sister company, Liberty Media, are now the primary owners of Formula One. That's not concerning at all, you guys. It's, like I said, they have they have that working relationship with Discovery, and they are get, they've got they they own Eurosport, which is massive. Obviously, here in the UK, World Superbike coverage, BSB coverage, Olympics now is going to be coming soon for them as well. You name it, they've got it basically outside of the really and really I know, big ones. I know it's not listed here on the chart that you're looking at, but Liberty Liberty Global also own a five percent stake in ITV. Ooh. So and then so how how coincidental it was that when Formula E first launched, what network carried them in the UK? Oh, it was ITV. Funny that. And then they then they dropped it when the moment they realised, oh, there's no ratings in this. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll stick to the BTCC for the time being as our main motorsport entity, basically. And then, of course, we mentioned we've got Chase Carey, who, again, Liberty is going to own Formula One very soon, who also owns 21st Century Fox, which is the parent company for Sky and Sky Sports. And Sky Sports F1. So the biggest broadcaster in Formula One now has the same vice chairman as the chairman, like the vice chairman of Sky Sports F1 is now the chairman of Formula One. Guys, this might be a problem. <laughs> so, yeah. the fu- don't expect the f- F1 on free-to-air television again. <laughs> no, we're done here. Like, like this, this is the future of sports now, because sport is the last bastion of television. They're going to hoard whatever they can and monopolize whatever they can in sports coverage now before the internet now, takes over Yeah, everything. but now it's less likely for Formula One to move to the internet because a TV guy is in charge. Yeah. The, the 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 biggest TV guy in sport now outside outside of the really big players like like the CNNs of the world but I mean, like the the, the only hope you can have that Chase Carey being American and mainly working with 20th Century Fox on the American side can see how well that the NFL has done for you know Fox on free to air television maybe he could get F1 moved to a more basic Sky package. Good luck with that. They rinsed their F1 car. Like, King, if you ever watch Sky Sports commercials in the UK, they rinse the fact they've got F1 on there yeah. relentlessly. They've got their own TV channel yeah. specifically for Sky Sports F1. 
that runs eight months a year now, just plays repeats of 2016 races all day when the F1 season isn't around. It's a big deal. It's a massive deal. And you've got to, thing is as well, you've got to buy. You, know, you could you could have Sky Sports and you won't get Sky Sports F1. You have to you have to buy another HD network in order to get Sky Sports F1. Right. That's how big of a deal they take it. It almost seems like it's less likely that we'll ever get Formula One on free air television outside the United States. And it seems like more likely that Formula One in the United States will end up on something like HBO in the very near no, future. No, no, no. It's going to end up like MotoGP here in the U.S. It's on B in Sports here in the U.S. Like, that wasn't even like a sports channel here two years ago. <laughs> That's the reason why I missed the best season ever, because I didn't have the channel because it's only geared in, like, 15 households. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought being, I thought being sports were just those hipster guys that brought Richard Keyes over from Sky Sports when he was sexist on the air. I think here in the U.S., being sports, I've, I think they have the rights to uh, MotoGP, uh, La Liga, and Copa America, and that's it. No, they also got the rights to, to League One and Syria A and the Football League, the English Football League now. So basically anything that's not the Premier League or the FA Cup, they have. Or the Bundesliga. Oh, yeah, or the Bundesliga. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fox still has the Bundesliga. Bring on the Ducks. Anyway, um, that's what I was saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, King, this is alarming yeah. on, on a global level that, you know, just three or four dudes now are just almost like like they have stakes in TV networks. They have stakes in teams themselves, in in racing leagues themselves. In they have everything covered from from the media to teams themselves to sports themselves to TV networks. It's it's alarming that you know we're gonna see this almost like tyrannical grip on motorsport media being headed by effectively three or four dudes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically going to be what pro wrestling is like. How, essentially, for the WWE, most of the news you're going to hear about the, about the WWE is going to be either from the WWE themselves or maybe, like, some other small, random newsletter. <laughs> Yikes. Just that is that is worrying. Because that is worrying like, indeed. What what is what is what Sky Sports F one gonna say about you know oh F one's getting far too expensive for the average viewer to attend? You think Sky Sports as you know literally a vested stakeholder in F one by this point gonna say about that? It's like no, you should definitely not get spy- Sky Sports coverage. No, please don't pay like thirty pounds a month extra to get Sky Sports HD on your on your on your four K television. But hey, we're in Ultra HD next year, you guys. Like that'll be good. God forbid that motorsport ever end up in a situation like the NFL did with Ray Rice. <laughs> like like the NFL tried to whitewash it, but at least they had journalists there that were willing to make a stand and literally risk their jobs and their television programs over it. Chad to Keith Olbermann. <laughs> yeah. He did a brilliant job covering that on his TV show while he was still working for ESPN at the time. He did. He was what he was the arguably the loudest voice against Ray Rice and that domestic violence scandal that happened two years ago. Um, and he got fired because that, of it. Of course he did. <laughs> Conflict of interest, everybody. But um, yeah, the sport is doomed, you guys. We're all we're all back in it. <laughs> Man, um, no, no, no. There was, there was so much potential for this investment too. 
Yeah, like there there's still independent outlets out there like Racer Magazine here in the US and well, us of course, if you want us to keep existing, you could donate to our Patreon. Hey, King, King, you 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 cheeky little corporate shit. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, I'm clearly not being corporate here by keeping us independent. <laughs> Yes, uh, su- support us for truly unbiased coverage, and maybe one day I can go to an auto sports event and call Martin <laughs> Rundle a shit. No, here's two thousand pound. Here's a two thousand pound a month pledge from a Mister Z Brown in uh, in, North- oh. in New York. Ooh. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sorry, guys. This, this this segment's over. We're gonna talk about more happy things. Happy happy things. We're going to talk about, you know, we're going to enter the mailbag, you guys. Sorry, this segment never happened. We'll delete it. Johnson, do not put this in the edits. Hey, okay? hey, what, <laughs> what, about, what about next weekend's exclusive broadcast from Motorsport.com from Miami, the Race of Champions? We're talking about that in the mailbag, won't we? <laughs> yes, yes, we will. You know, Zach, please don't cut your funding. We're talking about it, I promise. Next segment, quick. Play some music. Roll the next segment already. Do it. Do it now. Okay, good news, you guys. Zach, Zach, Zach Brown has, has kept us up on board. He gave, he gave me He's a final He's deep in the water somewhere, and the only worry is the tide going to reach his chair. That's <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about the Race of Champions here in the mailbag section. The mailbag is back. Thank you, guys, for all your questions. Very much appreciated, as always. Again, if you have a question for us on the mailbag, send us in the day of recording. You can, you can tweet us at motorsport underscore 101, and there's a good chance it will be on the show. Um, shout out to Joe Ellis for, for, the, for the funny comment of the day. It's not really a question, but it was kind of funny anyway. He goes, if Bike Live won't be live anymore, would it be called Bike Used to Be Live but is now a podcast? Hey, hey, I suggested they change the name of the show, but no, no, they want the branding. They want the brand name. They don't care about the logic. You shut up. <laughs> Listen, if SmackDown Live can market itself as SmackDown Live, even when it's tape delayed because they're filming an episode in the UK, I think Bike Live will be fine. <laughs> it's the brand king. It's the principality. <laughs> Um, yeah, we are keeping the name for what it's worth. In all seriousness, we are keeping the name. It, it's it's a cool looking brand. Yeah, we'll, we'll, Bike Live will be hitting your your airwaves very soon. But um, in the meantime, yes, we are keeping the name. We have a new logo. It's all very fancy. And I know, okay, I've got to say, I didn't say this on the air, but a big shout out to Jake Sanson of Downforce Radio for letting us keep the name because he could have made it very difficult for us if he wanted to by not letting us keep the name. But he grace, he very graciously let us keep the name. So thanks to Jake for that one. He's, he's I know he's listening to us right now because he's, he's a big fan of us. So Jake, thanks, man. Much appreciated as always. Um, and good luck with his his, uh, his new show as well. He's got, I think, he's got some um, lean angle. Their new show that's totally not a replacement of us whatsoever. <laughs> hey, but, hey um, at least they were smart enough not to include live in the title. I guess that, 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 that's a start. You know, they should have they should have named it after Mark Marquez and called it sixty four degrees or something. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, speaking of MotoGP, we got a question from Len, Len Morrison. Hello, sir. He, he sent a question saying, was Valentino Rossi's achievements overhyped because of the competition he faced at the time? Um, I'm guessing this is more towards me on this one. Um, no, I, I, I do have to mention a quote from one famous athlete. If you if you if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Also, that's why Rossi hasn't won a world title in, in like ten years now. No, no, you can you can only face the competition that you're up against. You can't really fault. It's true. You can't fault Rossi yeah. for not having. It's the Baskin Loeb effect. It's really yeah. is. It's a shame. Like, he, like, and this is coming from me, the, the the chief Valentino Rossi downgrade guy. But you can only beat who they put in front of you at the end of the day. And it's not Valentino Rossi's fault there was no one on his level for a good six years until, you know, Nicky Hayden and then Casey Stone. I mean, we've been very fortunate in MotoGP in the last decade to have had Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo, Casey Stoner, and Mark Marquez all come through the field and have now won world titles, in, apart from Pedrosa, in their own right. Um, and, you know, Rossi... Let's just be blessed that Rossi is still one of the best riders in the world at the age of 37. Right. Like, that is a miracle in its own right. I mean, and, you can't really blame Rossi <laughs> for the competition that he had. Like, Gibernau had chances. Matt Biaggi had chances. Who knows Absolutely. what Digiro Kato could have been. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as a former Sete Gibernau fan, it troubles me greatly that we have to go down this road. But, <laughs> but Rossi kicked his ass from pillar to post for those couple of years. And the closest I think Gibernau got was like 43 points behind Rossi in the end. So, you know, there was just no one on his level. That's not Rossi's fault. That's just him being the amazing bike rider that he is. The unfortunate nature of the beast. But that's, that's what happens. But, you know... It's not overhyped. It's just, it's just he was a victim of circumstance more than anything else, and that's what that's that's what it can be like in motorsport. Like 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 our Jesse, there's a there's a lobe effect there that's going on that could be quite similar to that. Um, Danny Brennan asks, why does the internet internet hate Connor Daly for being privileged, even though he's technically homeless? Now we're talking about race of champions. Yes. Yes. Now, for those that don't know the backstory regarding this, um, the race of champions had a fan contest or a contest where there was you could nominate anyone you wanted to be a driver at this year's Race of Champions alongside James Hinchcliffe well, in a well, special team. We do need to mention that there was also a vote for, you know, I forgot who who was even, like, the pro driver on that team, the Latin American Rock Factor team. That that vote has gone, like, completely unnoticed. Oh, what? We don't care about that. We don't care about that, King. Um, anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, like you said, it was, a, it was a chance to be Hinchcliffe's partner. And, um... There was ten finalists, and Connor Daly was one of those ten finalists yeah. that was nominated. Right. I it think- looked like it was going to come down to either Connor Daly because of his pull as an IndyCar young star, or that it was going to come down to multi- to often seen, often heard on Radio Lamont and some radio analyst Shay Adam, who, in her own right, is. I love Shay, but unfortunately, she was not in contention. Though she did get, like, a lot of votes. Um, so, King, tell us more about what happened. Oh, God. Do, do we... Can someone... I, I'm still reeling. Stefan Rosinski. Yes. Stefan Rosinski, 
former Road to Indy driver who has had a couple of tough bounces. He's now down in the Nissan Micro Cup in Canada, which, in fairness, is a very fun and competitive championship, even if it isn't slow cars. Pretty awesome dude. Um, has gotten a huge push of votes, mostly because of a story that the CBC ran that painted Stefan Rosinski as sort of the underdog, but in doing so also painted Connor Daly as something that he is, well, not really so much. Ba- basically, it painted him almost as Verstappen light, if you would say. It painted him as Lance Stroll. Yeah, except L- Lance Stroll, if his dad was also a former Formula One driver. They they like to emphasize that a lot. <laughs> what well, that makes a shred of difference in this context. Yeah, it... it, it... Basically, the Canadian press ran a smear campaign on Connor Daly, and that's probably what's... I mean, the voting closed a couple of hours ago, but it's looking like Stefan is going to cakewalk this. And again, more power to the kid. Um, You know, good for him. And to be fair, he's taken this in remarkably good spirit, as has Connor. Um, They've been very friendly on Twitter regarding this, and, you know, they've treated each other with the utmost respect, which is more than can be said for people on the internet and their fans. I've already heard Daddy's had to block multiple people because they've been very rude to him regarding yeah, his background, his history. Like, the the internet has been unrelenting. I saw some woman tweet him that, oh, Daly's just some average driver with average talent. It shouldn't be him in the scene. Wow. Yeah. It's just... It's awful. It's like if, awful. Con- if Connor Daly had the funding that they said they would have this story, <laughs> he wouldn't have been. Um, he wouldn't have been two, two, one and a half years and done in GP two, having only driven for some of the worst teams, like freaking Lazarus GP. Yeah, Connor <sighs> Daly was dragged down by being at the worst team on the grid. Like if Connor, if, if, if Connor Daly had the pull that people think he has, he'd probably be at Haas F one right now. <laughs> He'd probably be at Ganassi. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly, but here we are. So people have taken that, not really done any homework, and have ran with it, and they've smeared Connor by result, and it's really unfortunate. It's the worst Canadian sporting narrative since the time that um, basically every hardline traditionalist fan of hockey in Canada (laughs) basically tried to push the narrative that Sunbelt hockey and teams like Los Angeles, Dallas, Nashville, etc. I, 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 I still remember when people called the New Jersey Devils a Mickey Mouse team. Amazing. But, just... but yeah, but yeah. People are getting this worked over about Connor Daly entering this competition for the race of champions. An exhibition event. Hey now, I mean... hey now the race of champions made Hecky Kovalainen a... made him a star, <laughs> damn it. Made him a star, damn it. For a day. Um, I'm not just saying this because Vettel won last year. I'm not biased at all when I say this, but come on, people. It can't be this. Like, and I know Danny and Lizzie, who are two very good friends of ours and are the two biggest Connor Daly fans we know on the internet, have had multiple angry rants regarding this, and I can only echo what they say. Yeah, it's like, where it's just... I don't feel bad that Connor lost. I feel bad that, that no. Connor got destroyed over this. Yeah, like Connor got hosed through absolutely no fault of his own here. And again, people that one aren't willing to do their homework or two read everything that the CBC said as gospel, which was complete bullshit. And like, like my beef is not that Connor lost. My beef is the fact that 
some journalists don't can't do their job properly, which is becoming an ever growing trend in motorsport. Yeah. Unfortunately, so some some journalists uh, thought it would be you know cool and fun to cape for the hometown guy to get in the seat and make uh, the the Rock Factor North America team a de facto team Canada because there's too many Americans in the race of champions already. Why? <laughs> It's 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 complete horseshit. Like even I had nice things to say about Rio Harrianto when he got the manor drive. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I wrote a whole column and made a video about it. Like, geez, can we stop labeling these guys as pay drivers necessarily? But no, we we in motorsport love a good narrative, even if it's a one that's full of shit. And again, I feel so bad for Connor in this regard because again, it was a completely bullshit smear campaign that's not only robbed him out of a seat at the race of champions but also made him look far worse than what he actually is and that is very very unfortunate just because some canadian journalist doesn't know how to fucking do his job yeah and even the like oh like if he really wanted to because like james hinchcliffe was really trying to be neutral about this even though he you know subtly hinted yeah he subtly hinted he wanted connor to win but like he he never really voices opinion like if if they if Connor was really all they made him out to be James Hinchcliffe would have caped for him so hard exactly oh, but and you know what T- team housemate sadly is not going to happen yeah uh... we want a team housemate they paved that over and gave us team Canada yeah well it was worth a try next question um from Brian Shadowwolf, who asks, considering that Mana has gone into administration, if you could buy Mana and an unlimited budget, what, what do you do? Oh, unlimited budget? Oh, what would I do? Mm. Now, what can you do? Now, <laughs> oh my god, this is going to turn into a segment that we might as well called How Mana Should Have Booked. <laughs> yeah, how, how we should have booked Mana's return to Formula One. Basically, we, we, we call open the phone... And we basically call Daniel Ricardo and say, how much is this going to take? <laughs> uh, like, just like, how much is your buyout, Daniel? Like, let, let's not even kid here. Money is no object. Just just hit up Dieter. Like, we, we can cover the bill. We want you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jorge Mendez. How much is it going to take for, for Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> Two, 200 mil? No? How, how about three? And, and we'll pay him a hundred million a year. You're like, no. <laughs> like I like I li- I don't like the idea of also um, going in the moneyball route of Billy Bean and the Oakland Athletics and just taking gambles on drivers that nobody else would even look at. Yeah, the same thing yeah. Lombardi did in the early two thousands before they folded. Like there was a there was a story that I was telling Johnson about last week about how Minardi had like an open test in two thousand and four and they invited like a whole gravel. If anything, I would expect the Sauber name to just go away if they fold at the end of twenty seventeen. Was Jack Hawksworth? <laughs> Forty Corsa, Matt's Mastercard Lola, Andrea Moda, Colony. Ooh. Like, let's be honest, like I would say one of the reasons there when you when you're not a driver from a traditional Grand Prix racing country, like say a Brazil or Britain, it's hard to get your name out there. And that's why I don't really fault the Venezuelan government for wanting to sponsor, you know, Pastor Maldonado, because 
Pastor Maldonado was that kind of talent. If he was from a Brazil or an Argentina, he probably would have been in Formula 1 a couple seasons earlier. Yep. And of course, who's going to talk about Venezuela in motorsport other than a guy like Pastor being involved in the first place? It's kind of in their best interest to be involved in that way. Yeah. But, um, or yeah, or just if he was just from the country right next door, Colombia. Would have helped. But uh, yeah, basically, have all their team come out as Stormtroopers. <laughs> What for? Be like, hey, hey, Ro- Roger, Roger. How much is it gonna cost for that new garden kid? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna bring in Joseph Newgarden and James Hinchcliffe and just make it Team America two yep. with a Canadian. Yep. <laughs> Since we have like, like that's the one thing I don't like that that under this question we have unlimited money. So you're saying that as long as we run Manor, theoretically, we could purchase another team. <laughs> like, or we could just create another team from scratch and have four seats and really just go balls to the wall like we're having as much fun as humanly possible with this okay okay yeah that seems 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 like a good idea to me but um we might do that for fun one day who knows uh matthew lindus has sent us a bunch of f1 2017 predictions and i'm i'm gonna say i'm gonna ask you guys fact or fiction on these following bullet points quickly and see what you guys reckon. Okay? So, F1 2017 predictions. Mercs have Braun-style starts, Red Bull catch-up by break, and Ferrari pending the suspension ruling. Yeah. False. Mercedes have an unlimited budget. Whatever whatever the difference... Like, they can't... They literally can't have a Braun-style start because if they have an advantage... They're going to keep that advantage because they have the funding to keep that advantage. There's no token system. They can upgrade their engine as much as they want. They're pretty much have free reign unless some other manufacturer had an advantage in Australia because somehow their car was that good to begin with. <coughs> yeah, false. I'm not buying that at all. Mercs are just too good for my liking. Um, Bottas to win title if chosen by Mercedes. Ham not on it straight away. It's not the fact that Bottas isn't talented. It's more of the fact that he's in a new car with a new team. He's not going to be that great right out of the box. Unless it depends on how much test mileage he does. Like, if he can get, like, literally as much mileage as Mercedes did last year, maybe he could stand a chance. But he's going to need to ease into this new seat. False. False will lose to, to Hamilton by 50 points. Calling it now. Um, yeah, I'm not buying this one at all. I, I, I think Bottas is there to make up the numbers for a year and then have Mercs make a proper free agent play in 2018. So, that, that's a lot of so essentially, wait for Ocon to get out of his contract. Ooh, yeah, let's let's be honest. Like, if, if Nico Rosberg had announced his retirement before... Esteban Ocon signed his deal with Force India. Do you think they would have gotten Esteban Ocon? Yes. Absolutely. Next one. Force India and Carlos signs to drop off dramatically from 2016 performance. Yes. Yes. Yeah, science science is a real deal. Force India, they don't have enough cash to be the real deal. This this is the this is the wall. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I completely agree with that as well. Force India, this is the wall. Not, they have not got the money to beat the top three. Yeah, like, <laughs> someone pointed out that every season since Force India has been a constructor, they've improved on their position in the standings on last year. Now there's no place to, for them to improve. If they improve, it would be a miracle. Exactly. Palmer to be replaced with Pierre Gasly. F- brackets, think about it logically. No, no. No, False. they like Jolian. <laughs> like somehow they like Jolian. Gasly's still under contract with Red Bull. <laughs> like, yeah, like, not not buying that. Like, if I was allowed to think about it, unlike illogically, over the fact of which guy would I rather have, I'd pick Gasly. But the fact that he's under contract with Red Bull, it's not going to happen. Like, they wouldn't no. they wouldn't let Carlos Sainz go. What makes you think they're going to let Pierre Gasly go? Sauber to leave for Formula E at the end of the season. No. Yeah, they'll, they'll go the way of Brabham and Lotus and all the great privateer teams before them into the vast, un, the, 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 the annals of Grand Prix history never to be heard of. Mana somehow makes the grid. The safe bet is to say no because your expectations are already so low that if they do turn up, <laughs> it is a great win. <laughs> No, I don't see it. I think I think they're too far gone this time. Like, who, like, who is going to buy into that team at this point? No one. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't buy that at all either. The last one, Hamilton, Bottas, Ricardo, Verstappen, and one other guy to win a race in 2017. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, ha- yeah you had me at four. Five is pushing it. <laughs> Sebastian Vettel, maybe? Yes? No? Maybe? No. Well, who am I kidding? False. <laughs> We only had friggin' four last year. Yeah. Like, where does does winner number five come from? Based on what I expect the packages to be next year, I don't see Ferrari winning a race. I I see Red Bull winning a race. I don't see Ferrari winning a race. Because Mercs will will ship the bed at least twice over the the course of the year, and that will be an open goal for Red Bull. But... I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see. I can't get to five. I can't get there. Um, one more question, and I get a couple of complications in from Shawnee, Patreon backer of the show. So shout out to Shawnee as always. Who was a better driver, Ricardo or Rosberg? I wonder who King's going to say for this uh, one. You, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> yep, RJ. What do you reckon? Um. Well, Rosberg won the title, didn't he? Ooh. But, but, but Ricardo's the nice guy. He smiles all the time. I know. He, likes he, was, he, was, great for, he was great for the money. Yeah. But I've still got to give props to the world champion where they're due. Yeah. Yes, sir. I agree with that entirely. Clean sweep for Nico Rosberg. <laughs> now, a couple, of, a couple of people have been asking um, about doing maybe an IndyCar 101 for the season when that starts up again. Best advice, you may want to listen to earlier on in our history where we did do kind of an IndyCar season preview. Yeah, I think, we yeah, we'll probably do it the, the week before the race. Like, we'll, ma- exactly. we'll, we'll make sure not to make it the episode the week of, the week before, so you actually have time to prepare yourself. Exactly. And we can't even make the joke about, we'll do it when Dale Coyne announces his second travel. <laughs> already decided. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing that. God damn it. Um, one more question here for Mr. RJ O'Connell from RND Adrienne goes, if you'd like to make an original GT300 car, MC or whatever, of your dreams, what's it going to be? 
Oh, goodness. Um, so, GT300 has um, a bunch of FIA GT3 cars. It also has original concepts like uh, the mother chassis cars, like the Toyota 86, the Lotus Evora, and coming soon, the Toyota Marquette sedan. It also has a V8-powered Toyota Prius. It has a Subaru BRZ to the old World Rally, with the old World Rally Championship engine that they used to use. Um, historically, they had a Ford GT with an X Cosworth Formula One engine. Lord. Um, so I didn't even realize this. Yeah. So this is the kind of benchmark that you're setting, and I want to and want to try and do things fun. You know, Mazda have their own like RX Seven successor in the works. That's fine and dandy, but you know, if I'm if I'm going with something. I've got to go with something that has become kind of this uh, cross between American and Japanese motorsport culture. I'm going with a Dodge van. <laughs> a Dodge van. Yes. A Dodge uh, van. Yes. This is a thing in Japan that there is a, it, it's a modified Dodge van racing series. And it's totally a thing and it's awesome. Um, they're, ba they're basically just big V8 engine cars that love to tail slide around a lot. <laughs> and it's fun. So you just make like a like a basically a P2 style version of it with like this advanced monocoque of it, drop a huge V8 in it, give it tons of downforce. Man, I don't know if it's gonna be good, but it's gonna be <laughs> fun to watch. I really need to watch I really need to watch G Super GT next like this coming season because Hey, the season starts on April 9th. I really should get around to that because I've played too much Gran Turismo in my times and recognized too many amazing cars from my childhood not to watch them go around an actual racetrack for real. So that's on my to-do list. You heard it here first. Um, but yeah, that is just about all of the questions. I was going to talk about Silverstone on the on this episode of the podcast, but really we kind of covered that mostly in the mana segment anyway. And... You know, no, we have time. We have time. It's, we're not. We time. We're not putting out a, another episode for two weeks. Fine, fine. We could talk about bonus content. <laughs> Yay! D DLC extra content <laughs> alpha edition pack. Thank you for buying the season pass. <laughs> fine. So, Silverstone is apparently in trouble. Stop me if you've heard this one before. But essentially, this time. They've actively opened the idea of shopping the series out, or the, the all F1 out to other places, and literally nobody else in the country can run this shit, basically. Brands Hatch is too small. Rockingham doesn't have the facilities. Um, Donington? <laughs> Forget it. Um, Remember that? Uh, yeah, right. Remember that one time they tried, and then we ended up, hey, that new MotoGP layout for Silverstone? Guess what? It's the new Formula One layout as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. They ruined what was like my like like for what it's worth. F new Silverstone because I loved old Silverstone because of how friggin' fast it was. I, I but no, honestly, I like the new layout. The only thing I don't like about it, like I love the new first corner, love it to death. But Abby, that you weird that complex. I mean, ar I mean, arena is terrible. That arena complex is terrible. Oh yeah. Do you mean that's like you basically you mean turns two and three in the Wellington straight, basically? Yeah. I, I like oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I like the straight and the first corner. Everything in between there is terrible. Like can we just like just pave like an entirely new concrete line and just skip to the Wellington straight instead? That'd be sick. Yeah, just just <laughs> just make it a big sweeping left hander, please. That 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 that'll work. Um but anyway, the track is in trouble. 
and many people have had their two cents and in an, a season or in an F1 landscape where like half the calendar is either wanting to quit is is going to quit or is thinking about quitting this seems to be the straw that's broken the camel's back on this one because it's Silverstone I am firmly in the camp of F Silverstone I do not care if we don't have a British Grand Prix um, although it looks really friggin stupid if we don't have one and I'll be the first person to admit that I, I, well, it, yeah. it looks freaking stupid that we don't have a German Grand Prix in a peak era where Mercedes are the dominant manufacturer and you're reigning an outgoing champion as a German but yeah. or, or, and, or, or a French Grand Prix where the, where the home of Grand Prix racing as we know it was born (sighs) but um, yeah King throw in your two cents on this one because this one seems to be like the canary in the coal mine as our friend Sarah Connors put it on Twitter earlier today Yeah, the only thing I would say I wouldn't call this a canary in the coal mine because to call it a canary in the coal mine would just say that this is the first sign of trouble that things are hitting the fan and this is clearly not the first time we've been in this situation no, like we've not with already this track been... or with this sport in the last couple of years. Like literally yeah. every every circuit that we could have possibly said that was a historic European F1 circuit has either been off the calendar for at least one season or has been under threat of of being off the calendar. Where I think they've threatened to drop Spain and Italy. Uh, obviously, you no know, France has been off the calendar for all, almost over a decade now. Um, yeah, 2008, so nine years. Germany has been off the calendar. Belgium, Belgium has been off yeah, the calendar. Belgium spent one year off the calendar. No, it spent two. Oh, two one years? year because of the tobacco uh, sponsorship legislation that hit way too soon for them to race in 03, and then 2006 because they just tore up the damn track. Yeah. And now, like, the British Grand Prix could possibly be off the calendar, which I think, I think in terms of it being historic doesn't matter in this situation what's important is most of the teams are based here like imagine if like nascar spent an entire season without ever going to charlotte yikes like what like yep formula one no longer has a home race like eight out of the 11 teams based in britain a lot of the drivers live in britain why not have a british grand prix <laughs> yep yeah it's like it's got they, they really, like, it's, I, it's so I, damn expensive. It is, yeah. and like if it if it comes down to like the taxpayers subsidizing this, like I'm not a British citizen, but I know I'm, some people that are. <laughs> but and uh, if it if it came down to like okay, I could spend my tax money on um, on the British Grand Prix, or I could spend it on you know making sure that the NHS is not dismantled. So a lot of my friends who are struggling. Um, as the Tories ruin everything, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, take take Silverstone off for a couple years, fix your shit, fucking give Baku another date if you have to. Yeah, um, RJ has represented my views as a British citizen quite well on this one. I don't care if there's a if there's not a British Grand Prix on the calendar. Yeah. I am not. I I am the anti patriot of the three of us, and I know certain people out there's gonna hate me for saying this. I don't care. I've never liked Silverstone as a venue. Like it, it I know it's a bank buster. They get a hundred and forty thousand in every year, and I know no, no, like they like, get a hundred and forty thousand every year, but they still at a loss. Like the British, like yeah. like the circuit only has. Like, only has $19,000 in their bank account at the moment. 
That's crazy. Shit, like, that's more than I got. <laughs> are, you, are you charging tens of millions for a Grand Prix in your back garden, RJ? <laughs> no, because it's like, what? Like one kilometer, one square kilometer? If that, I don't even know. Yeah, it's. It, listen, listen. I'm going to be real with you here. I've never liked Silverstone. I've been offered tickets to go to Silverstone and I've had no interest in going to it before. Like, the prices are obscene. Like, you're looking like 400 quid for general admission. Finance packages. Finance packages for fucking, like, fucking payday loans to pay for British Grand Prix tickets. It's ridiculous. You can fly out to Belgium, stay the whole weekend, then fly back to England for this for less money than it takes for you to go to Silverstone for Sunday of the Grand Prix. And it would probably be a whole better it would probably be a whole lot better experience. Give me Bel give me Belgium. Give me Belgium over 135,000 angry Hamilton-based white folks at, at, the, at somewhere in Milton Keynes like, for, like, for this Grand Prix. I, I have a, like a whole lot of issues the British Grand Prix. Number 1, I I understand why it is now, but w- why does the British Grand Prix have to be at one circuit every year? Like, obviously, it being Britain, there's like, there's more racetracks per square mile than anywhere in the world, and only one is capable of hosting a Formula One race safely. That is a travesty. <laughs> yeah. All the teams are based there. You would just assume there'd be more F1-capable tracks there. Not in terms of, you know, finances or anything. Just in terms of being physically able to have a Formula car run on the racing surface. Hey, Circuit of Wales! That Yeah, Circuit of, Circuit of Wales would be capable of hosting a Formula 1 race. But, but, it's, but it's basically the Half-Life 3 of motorsport circuits. And... It seems like the only group of people stopping the British Grand Prix of being safe is rightly and justly the British government because they've denied any request from Silverstone to subsidize the British Grand Prix. Whether it be the Labour government or the Tory government, over the past 20 years, they've all said, no, we're not going to pay for this. Are you insane? Yeah, and it would take a lot of money to make this Grand Prix sustainable for the future because look how much they're charging for it. Look how many fans they still get, and they're still making a loss. Like, think of it this way. 140,000 people on race day, £400 a ticket on race day minimum to get in. And, like, that alone is, what, £42 million on race day alone just in turnover? And then not making a not making a I'm not even including like the vendors, the food, the camping, the tickets, the facilities. And I'm only I'm only counting Sunday. That yeah. should like that that would be a good idea of just how much of a loss leader this Grand Prix even is to have on the calendar. Like so, I, I for wish me, I saw it. I really wish they could do something like what the Open Championship does in golf, where they where they're able to rotate between golf courses in the UK, so it's not at St Andrews every goddamn year. Or you could have like if Silverstone hosted a race once every four years, and in the other three years they also went to Donington, they also went to the Circuit of Wales, and what brands wouldn't you wouldn't be able to up great brands you could probably find some other racetrack to host it but you know spread the cost to other people <laughs> but do you think any other track owner wants any part of an f1 bill right now hey it worked for germany with only two tracks for a little bit 
a little bit. Hence my point. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you spread it out even more to four tracks, maybe you could work. Because the problem is that Bernie has this card that, hey, other governments pay for it. Why don't you? Like the Italian government pays for their race. The the city government of Barcelona pays for their race. I'm pretty sure uh, the regional government. Yeah, and, so- and both those countries are out of money. <laughs> yeah, the, the regional go- Like, I'm pretty sure Britain is the only, like, privately run Grand Prix left. Yeah. And, yeah, and right now, as RJ pointed out, our country is literally somewhere between dumpster fire and super dumpster fire on the back of a truck. So, like, do you think the British taxpayer wants to hear anything right now about subsidizing for a Grand Prix that they know Lewis Hamilton's going to win? Yeah, probably not a good look. Uh, So, you could take that one off the table from now. People would be leading riots in the streets. Save our NHS, not Lewis Hamilton's ego. Um, So, like, I think I talked about it in our our Slack chat, where essentially, the reason why you you never hear that Monaco has many money problems, because Bernie always charges them less, because he sees Monaco as being more valuable to Formula One than the other way around. So... Maybe if something could happen that Bernie could see the tracks as, you know, being valuable to Formula One more than they are to, for- like, then the more than Formula One is valuable to the circus success way, it seems like, because they don't make money, period, having these races. No. Like, if, if, just... like, let's imagine one off-season, all the European circuits say, we all get a price cut, or we're all off the calendar. If, like, a third of the calendar said, yeah, we're gonna get up and leave. That would be so sick. <laughs> like, let's see, like, what can, year... Can, can, can we send that Patreon money in to make this happen? <laughs> let's see, like, it wouldn't be Paul Ricard, because Bernie owns that track. So let's see, Barcelona, Britain, Belgium, Italy... Austria and Hungary. Imagine if all if all six of those tracks just you know went to Bernie one day and said, "Yeah, if you don't give us a price cut, we're all gonna leave." Have fun trying to find six replacements. Not going to happen. Six um, more Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. <laughs> Lit. Uh, you know, but uh, that'll just about do it on this one. But God, like Silverstone, I, like I said, I don't really care if it stays or goes. I'm not a patriotic guy. I don't want to put my taxpaying money into this shit if I can avoid it. Yeah, I, I um, think this is going to end up being like what we said earlier about MotoGP, that it's it might have to get worse for it to get better. Agreed. Um, how far do you have to fall through the floor before it actually changes? This is Formula One. R- this is this is Formula One. RJ, pretty fucking far. <laughs> pretty. And on, and and on that note, we'll just about call it a show. RJ, tell them where they can find you, good sir. Um, you can you can find me on the internet doing things and stuff. <laughs> Okay. Carry on. I'm giving you a chance for a free plug here, and you're only blowing it for yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, Tell them about that website you write about. Yes, it's it's supergtworld.com. Um, it's actually not that. I still haven't bought the dang domain name. But you can find us on Twitter, um, writing about the silly season and giving out awards for the end of 2016, which we just started doing. So Very that's cool fun. Stuff, by the way. 
Oh, very, very. Fu little fun fact. Just so you know, they already like someone had already changed the Wikipedia page for the 2017 Race of Champions and listed uh, Stefan Rakinski as the as the other North Team North America driver before like the Race of Champions has even announced who had won. I'm going to jump into the same river that Lizzie is about to jump into. I have had it with this show today. Sod it. We're, we're done. We are through. We are out. I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. You can follow us, Motorsport 101. Google it. You'll find all the places. But until next time, I'll catch you guys. Thanks very much for listening. Till then, sayonara. Bye. Like I'm not ready. You are the world.